Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravello, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, you remember about three years ago, we went to the Coastal States Organization meeting in Corpus Christi, Texas. In South Padre Island, Texas. Was it South Padre? Yeah. Yeah, okay, South Padre. And we did about, I don't know, we did six or seven shows from the Coastal States Organization uh, meeting. We did. And uh, we had a chance to talk to the Rear Admiral uh, from NOAA, the Director of the Office of Coast Survey, if you remember, Shep Smith. I do. I couldn't. How could I forget? Yeah, it was a great show. And we learned all about the the NOAA fleet of research vessels that uh, Shep uh, managed and commanded uh, at uh, at NOAA. And uh, we've got him back on the show. And I'm really excited to catch up with what... uh, what the Admiral is doing now in his new role. Absolutely. Well, we got a a press release sent to us uh, informing us that uh, Shep had taken on a new job as the Chief Technology Officer at X-Ocean, which is an ocean research mapping data collection firm doing some really innovative stuff with unmanned vehicles. Right. And I mean, I mean, how cool is this? Yeah. yeah and of yeah. course, we have a little history with Shep mm-hmm. back at this meeting you referenced, Peter. Yeah. So uh, I sent an email. I was like, hey, we got to talk to Shep about this new position and also get an update because uh, since we talked last, he has retired from NOAA. That's correct. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking forward to getting into it and learning uh, what Shep has been up to and about this exciting new position. But before we get into it, let's have a brief word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an ND5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline like what you're hearing and want to support the network sponsorship packages are now available go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more well shep thank you for joining us on the american shoreline podcast and i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to share an update on your uh, career and what's going on i'm really happy to be back i really enjoyed the last time we talked and uh look forward to talking to you some more today well, uh, Shep, I mentioned it in our intro, but uh, you've had some life developments here uh, since we last spoke, um, and I just would love to, you know, these are, this is major, you're, you're were the uh, director of Coast Survey at NOAA, uh, very senior position, uh, extremely important position in service of our nation's ocean mapping, and our, you know, our mariners from around the American shoreline depend on, on the great work that you did there. Uh, and then you made a transition. You stepped away from NOAA after a long and illustrious career. Uh, and I understand you you hit the Appalachian Trail and then yeah. finally found your way uh, to X-Ocean. Uh, those are the cliff notes. Let's slow it down. Tell us a little bit about that transition process, what it was like to leave NOAA, and uh, kind of your, your the experience of the trail and, and why you did that. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought that... You know, the, the job I had with NOAA, with the uh, director of the Office of Coast Survey, I think was the, is the best job in government. Uh, you lead a, uh, an organization with deep roots and real strong ties to the, to the coastal and maritime community, um, really top-notch professionals, a nice blend of science and operations and, and interesting data science, uh, and, a, and then an international role, too, really driving the, having an opportunity to really drive the future of charting and hydrography globally. Uh, and, and, uh, so I, I was, you know, I, I was not, you know, I loved it, but it was, it was time. It works really well to have a rotating director. I was there for about four and a half years and, uh, and, and had, had developed a quite a cadre of, of really great leaders to follow me. And, uh, and so it was, it was, it was time for me to go. Uh, and, uh, I, I retired last April, uh, 
mid-April, and and uh, a week later, I hit the Appalachian Trail, uh, which had been a, a sort of a long-time uh, dream of mine. Uh, and really, it's the sort of thing you can only do in transition. Mm. And I was I was you know going from this really intense uh, you know full-time job. Uh, with with uh, really intense schedule, minute by minute scheduled, you know, out weeks in advance, uh, to, uh, to to uh, to to trying to find myself again, and so it was a really nice opportunity. Uh, because I started late, I started about midway in the in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, head nor- headed north all the way to uh, Mount Katahdin in Maine, yeah. uh, where I, I I pivoted in August, came back down, and then hiked southbound from Harper's Ferry down to Georgia. Woo. So I completed uh, the full you know two two thousand two hundred miles um, uh, of, of of trail over about six months of hiking, and uh, I, I lost uh, lost 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 quite a bit of weight, got in really great shape, and made a lot of really great friends. But 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 also I just got a, an opportunity to get a little bit centered and think about what was important to me and what I wanted to do with the rest of my professional career. Cause I'm, I'm not an old guy yet. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to sort of think that through and, you know, the more I thought about it, the, you know, I wanted to do something where I could make a difference. I didn't need to have a, a fancy title and, and that sort of thing. I, I'd done that already. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, have, have be someplace where I, where I could be working on making the world better in a meaningful way. Uh, and using the skills that I had accumulated over my over my over my career, uh, I didn't really know what that would look like. And and uh, and the, the folks at at, at X Ocean, uh, you know, through mutual contacts, had, had reached out to me while I was on the trail and just introduced themselves to me. It wasn't a company I'd worked with, you know, previously in any capacity. Um, uh, and and we talked a few times throughout, you know, as the as it, as it went on, and I, I really got interested in what they were doing. Uh, you know, it really the 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 environmental bent, the the fact that they are really low carbon by design. They're not trying to adapt a, a big carbon heavy infrastructure to a low carbon world. Um, they they're building a low carbon company from the beginning, uh, and uh, and same with uh, quite a few other parts of the company that we can get into. Um, but you know, it's really seemed to, uh, you know, it really seemed to sort of scratch that itch and they, they offered me the position of the chief technology officer, um, which, you know, later on, once we, once we started to talk seriously and, um, and, and that really appealed to me because this, that was sort of my roots. I, I, uh, I was a smart kid once at NOAA and, and, you know, did some, did some things that really advanced the state of ocean mapping. Uh, and I, and it was really exciting. I just kept a finger in that, but you know, if you're the Admiral, you can't do very much. So, uh, just talk to the people that are doing the work. Um, and so, so it was, it was a nice opportunity to get a little bit, get a little bit closer to the technology and that, and that sort of technology leadership, um, that I really, that I really liked early in my career. Shep, that's a great overview. And I just want to go back. We're going to talk, we're going to, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to deep dive uh, <laughs> X-Ocean and all that they do. But I, I do want to go back because very interesting, you know, you wrapped up this this prolific uh, career at NOAA, I have to say. I mean, uh, rising through the ranks, uh, Rear Admiral, to be the director of the Office of Coast Survey, which, as we discussed on our last show, Shep, is an incredibly historic uh, office in the United States government. I believe it goes back to the Jefferson administration or something like that, I believe is what you told us. So, uh, the very, you yeah, know, right. and, and it, you know, the, it's, it, it's, it's actually the oldest scientific organization in the U S government. Um, when the national Academy of sciences was founded, there's a picture in the national Academy of sciences. You can look this up online. Uh, it's a picture with Lincoln there. Lincoln was the president when the, when the national Academy of sciences was started up. And there were, there were, uh, two of the seven other people in the standing with Lincoln were associated with the office of coast survey one okay. as, the, as the director and one as a, another senior scientist. So this is, you know, this is steeped in history. Very uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 obviously uh, you mentioned earlier and Peter and I are such huge fans of NOAA and the people that make up NOAA, uh not just the mission but the human beings that that are the servants uh to the to the mission and you you got to work and indeed lead these people uh and then as you say your your time came to an end it was time to make room for another person which I love about 
uh, kind of the high command in uh, the NOAA Corps, but also uh, in in the military generally, and um, and so you but it, and you focus on this recentering. And I I just you know as as a leader who achieved so much, I would love to uh, hear your uh, your rationale for the for for that. You recognize there was a need for that in your life, and also you you talked about. Uh, prioritizing kind of an environmental service. Um, would you mind going back through and, and telling us a little bit about uh, your, your that, that recognition for, for the need for the walk <laughs> and the time and the centering and also your focus on uh, the environmental side of things and the low carbon element of X-Ocean and all that business? Sure. Uh, yeah, the, the, the recentering, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I wasn't, that wasn't that big, a big shot. It's just a, just a, just a rear admiral, but it was, but it was, you know, it was enough that I was, uh, I was, there was a part of my job, which was to inhabit a role. Um, not, I don't want to say I was acting in that role, but I was mm -hmm. inhabiting a role. Um, and there's a certain way that you're supposed to be. And, and there's, you know, uh, you, you know, part of my job was to bring gravitas to certain situations, and 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 that's all fine. But in a sense, that's 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 playing a role, and I I, I was conscious that 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 I didn't want that to become me, uh, right? I was that was part of my that was part of my job, and I appreciated the the value of it, and was happy to do that. Um, uh, but I but I wanted to sort of have a chance to to rediscover. Uh, you know the, what what it was that, that that I wanted to bring with me uh, from all that time, uh, and and so I didn't. I, it was interesting. There's a lot of the, the, I don't know how much you know about the trail culture, but there's uh, it, there's a tradition on the Appalachian Trail where where um, you people don't actually use their own names. Typically, they use a trail name, um, and and so there's always there's already this sort of tradition of become, of sort of inhabiting a different a, a different version of yourself. Um, and I and I also chose at that at that point to not to belabor the fact that I that I had been a senior leader, uh, and I and and uh, so I didn't really tell anyone um, that any of that part. I said I worked in ocean mapping for the government, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and and let other parts of of what you know sort of what was what was interesting about me come out. So I you know it, it's, you know some of that it's you know some of that's kind of personal. Some of it is sort of le mm -hmm. other leadership style things and. And, uh, but it was fun to, to meet, make friends in a different way, you know, and to, and to sort of take this on in a, with, a, with a sort of a, a different persona. It, it is an extraordinary experience, the Appalachian Trail and also the Pacific Coast Trail on the West Coast of the United States. These are extraordinary and very rich communities of people who take on this take on these uh, these adventures is it's a real physical challenge to walk 2200 miles uh, and do it every day um, but uh, so you got to tell us or can you tell us what your trail name was Shep? oh sure it was it was <laughs> it was soundscape um, oh, so nice. so I, 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 I was a recovering scientist on the trail so I, I, I took on this little project where I recorded a, a 30 second clip of of sound at the top of every hour, um, the entire trip. That's true. Um, so it was, and I, and then I, you know, I, I analyzed it using some industrial hygiene type software that would sort of give, it could give a, a, a simple scale or value to that sound, uh, to that, to that sound clip, that's sort of loudness, right. Uh, that's weighted in a way that matters to living people, living, living creatures. And uh, and so it, and then I was able to map that all up. So some partnerships with uh, some folks associated with Esri. I and, you uh, know I gotta say and, I saw it uh, and and I've been to your website. You got to share that with the listeners. It is an extraordinary document. And uh, of course, as a scientist and as a researcher and a data collector, of course, this is what you did. <laughs> Tell us about that website where people. This is it's still up. I hope. I hope it. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I haven't pushed it recently. You can find it on, uh, 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 if you hit me on LinkedIn, you'll find it there. Uh, it's probably the easiest way than to try to do a URL over line, over right. on the, uh, you know, over the, over the podcast. Uh, but you could probably also just search Shep Smith soundscape Appalachian trail. It'll probably come up that way. Um, but it's, it, you know, it was really interesting exercise and I designed the whole thing so that it could be crowdsourced. 
that is, if 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 it looked like it had some scientific merit, this sort of approach that all you needed was a little bit of software on an on an iPhone, and we could have thousands or tens of thousands of sound observers, uh, you know, across the 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 natural and built landscape, um, uh, sort of monitoring the, the, the sort of background soundscape. And then, you know, it's, it's incredibly important. And I think understudied, uh, part of the, uh, you know, of, of our effect on, on, on the, uh, on the ecosystems, on the, on the environment. In fact, when the EPA was first founded, they were authorized to regulate sound as well as, uh, as, as well as water and, you know, air discharges and that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, and they, I think they thought the world wasn't quite ready for that in, in 19, in early 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of never, and never really got anywhere. Um, probably the world is still not ready for that. Um, right. uh, uh, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of casual sound make noise making in, in human society. Um, but, it, but it, the other thing that really inspired me to do that, and this, takes us back to the ocean a little bit is that is that I spent a lot of time uh, you know in in my professional capacity trying to figure out how to minimize the effect of our work on the marine ecosystem and particularly marine mammals who are particularly sensitive to sound right and and so and it just struck me that there was nowhere near that level of care for looking at at the effect of our of our noise making, uh, for terrestrial activities, right. um, and yet birds are just as sensitive to sound as as uh, mammals are to sound in the water, um, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, we don't need to you know, belabor uh, that, but I think it's a, <laughs> I was, that was sort of what inspired me on it. Um, That's an, yeah. and, uh, it's a great inspiration, and it, and it was a really great project. And I have to say, Tyler, when I listened to uh, Shep talk about this, so you retire from NOAA after what? How many years was it? Twenty eight. 28, yeah, 28 um, a, few, a few weeks shy of 28. Okay, and then you got a vacation, right? And what do you do? You go to work. That's what you do because you're a scientist. And this is, I think, I'm, I'm just wondering, Shep, did you did you miss the whole point? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. It, no, actually, I'm just kidding. I really liked it. It gave a little bit of rhythm to my day, and it, it forced me to stop and be quiet and pay attention to my surroundings yeah. for for those, you know, every at the top of the hour. Uh, you can get a little bit mission driven on the on the Appalachian Trail, you know, trying to peel off those miles, and uh, and uh, this was a nice opportunity to force me to. Yeah, I'm, down, I'm so. sorry, I don't mean it, but I, well, yeah, I, I I am curious, you know, so in between, uh, you know, taking these samples, and uh, you know, I guess getting into, I imagine you'd get into some real deep meditative thoughts as you're uh, just you know, as hour by hour goes by and mile by mile goes by, uh, what were some of the, uh, major themes that you would think about out there? I mean, I imagine that you, there were some, some areas that really entered, you know, entered your mind and stuck with you. Sure. I mean, you know, it was nice to take a break from the, from the, you know, it was, yeah, sure. It was still a COVID year, but it was it, it expresses itself in a pretty different way on the trail, and and you know the normal sort of political hubbub that we engrosses our our attention and emotions a lot of the time is pretty much erased too. So so that was that was that was really nice, and I um, you know I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I, I tried to I tried to learn a few things, uh, and uh, you know concentrated on my health, but 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 also just you know thinking about you know, what kind of a, what, what, what kind of a world we are, we, we are leading our successors to here. Yeah. Um, right. and, you know, and there's really, you know, really two gigantic challenges out there. One is, one is, one is political, which I will not get into, uh, in, mm-hmm. in this, uh, in this forum, cause it's, yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, wouldn't, wouldn't help anything, but, uh, and, and so I, uh, I have a really great friend, and he's uh, he's more involved in 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 that type of thing, not not politics, but thought leadership in that space. And uh, so he he and I kind of cut this deal over breakfast one day that uh, that uh, we'd split up the two giant problems of the world, which are climate change and this political problem. And he'd take the political one, and I would uh, I I take on the I take on climate change as my project. So. Um, so you know, so the the piece of that that is most logical for me to lean in on is is the maritime. That's where I have 
more credibility and skills and and that sort of thing. So uh, you know, in that space, I I did also uh, agree to serve on the National Academy of Sciences Marine Board, uh, which which uh, which advises the government on on research priorities for uh, for for things in maritime. And our very first the very first focus meeting that I that I was at was was themed on. Uh, on decarbonizing the maritime sector, so that was that was at the same time as I was first starting to talk to Exocean seriously about about joining them, uh, and uh, and really kind of clarified that there was a there was a pretty strong and immediate uh, mission opportunity there uh, for me to for me to lean in on. That's great. Well, let's introduce our audience to Exocean, your new company. You are, as you said, the chief technology officer for that company, which was founded in 2017. But tell us about Exocean. Sure. It's a, you know, as, as, you, as, you, as you would guess, it's a very young company. Um, and we, we build and operate uh, uncrewed surface vessels for doing ocean data collection. Uh, so our service is to is, is mapping services or, or, or other types of, of, of scientific work at sea. And we deliver the data. Um, the way we do that happens to include the the, the operation of uncrewed vessels. Um, but there's a, just a huge. I mean, you, you you sort of immediately think of the benefit of uh, of the low carbon footprint of a vessel that is you know more or less the size of a car and instead of the size of a city block um, doing a uh, you know doing this work. And uh, and so we operate it at you know between one and a tenth, of, you know, one percent and a tenth of a percent of the carbon footprint of, of, of other ships doing traditional crude ships doing this work. Um, and, and this, so that's sort of the most, this sort of most obvious thing, but, but, you know, the, the more I have gotten into it, the more I've started recognizing some really other, really neat, uh, really neat things as well. And, you know, first I'll just start with the people. There's not, it's not that there's no people involved. Um, in this work, it's just that those people are not in harm's way at sea, um, and they they are our are, are pilots and our surveyors are uh, they can be anywhere in the world and uh, home at home with their families after a after an eight hour shift. Uh, they they're, they're piloting from 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 their homes, um, and uh, and 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 you know can really get a, you know bring a sort of a maritime career to a much more uh, balanced and family friendly mm-hmm. environment. Um, we we uh, we have been really blessed in a time when the maritime sector in general is having a hard time recruiting people uh, for long stints at sea uh, to to really be the beneficiaries of 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 a lot of skills that are finding that 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 lifestyle is really difficult. Uh, particularly for people people with young families um, uh, or people with with uh, you know with health health issues that might preclude them from going to sea, um, we can we can we we can have them we can employ them as mariners without having to uh, uh, without having to 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 lead that that rigorous lifestyle. Um, so that's you know just a, a couple of the things, and I you know I'm sure we'll we'll come up with we'll come up with some others. But you know I also say that that. You know, we work with a lot of customers, um, but really, they all come to us. They come to us because they need really high-quality data, and we do this better as well as anyone else in the world. Um, but also, they come to us because they recognize the, the the environmental benefits of our services being part of their carbon footprint and their value chain. Uh, and so they, they, we're, we, we're particularly, uh, uh, from the beginning have been a really strong part of the offshore wind industry. It's a really, uh, it's a, a big part of our client base and we consider ourselves to be a really, uh, an, uh, you know, that's to be, that to be one of our, our main impact, um, uh, you know, measures is, is the success of the offshore wind industry. Yeah. Well, it's uh, one of the things that's for darn sure, Shep, is that we are in an exciting time when it comes to ocean exploration, ocean mapping, ocean science. Uh, the the type of equipment that has uh, come online recently is increasingly uh, smaller. Uh, the sensors are, uh, you know, more cheaply manufactured, so there can be more of them. And this is really, and, and also you can 
connect these things to the internet. As you mentioned, uh, with your uh, X-Ocean vehicles being able to be operated remotely, these uh, increasingly, this, th th these are the trends that we're seeing across the space, which is very cool. Uh, interesting, though, that you went from, uh, you know, the Rear Admiral uh, in the NOAA Corps, uh, where you're definitely dealing with uh, manned vessels and, uh, you know, definitely crews, uh, to an unmanned space. And was that exciting? Was that transition something that you looked at as being like, hell yeah, this is exciting, this is the future, this is... I mean, is that is that as the chief technology officer, I imagine that this this element right here is kind of the core of uh, what you're working on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that transition is interesting. I, you know, I, I estimate that the ships I was on during this time I served on them emitted about 40 million pounds of carbon. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working toward a, a, a way of offsetting some of that activity. We can't do everything that crude vessels can do, but we, we can, you know, there's a, there's a lot that we can do to make science at sea more, more carbon balanced. Um, the, this, the sensor issue is really right on though. It's so, it's so exciting. Uh, you know, over the course of my career, I, I think back to the first sonars I used and the. And the GPS units we had at the time, and and uh, and 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 how far we've come, um, and the the miniaturization, you know, the, the the you know the cost can come down, but oftentimes it, it turns out that that really just the quality goes up and the features go up. You sort of find the price point that's right, and you get more for it. Um, and um, and so it's it's uh, it's it, you know the, the what we can do for the resolutions uh, for mapping seabed features and the, and and backscatter uh, of the seabed uh, you know inspecting the condition of structures underwater uh, and and uh, and 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 what I you know and, and you know I think really has a huge amount of potential going forward is water column. Uh, water column data, where we can look at, we can see not only sort of the fisheries fisheries world, but a lot of physical characteristics of the water as well yeah. have a have a, an acoustic signature um, that can give us a, just a, a wealth of detail that uh, we've just begun to tap. Oh, it's so cool! I it really is. It's like it's, I think it's some of the most exciting stuff in the space. Could you walk us through, uh, you know, how this actually works? The deployment of an X Ocean vehicle. Uh, how long, you know, how do you deploy it? How long is it deployed for? Uh, how is it operated out there? Sure. Uh, just the whole soup to nuts process. Sure. And it's, you know, I'll, there's there's a lot of variation to this, but I'll, I'll give you a, just a sort of a typical sort of a, a sounding project. That'd be great. Um, so we might have a, 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 a project for uh, a... Uh, an offshore wind project uh, that may be something like 50 miles offshore or 50 miles from, from someplace where we could, where we can get to the water. The, you know, these, the, our boats are trailerable using a, you know, a, a small pickup or a large station wagon sort of a thing or a, or a, an SUV um, doesn't need, you know, complicated, uh, complicated tow packages. So they, uh, after, after, uh, leaving the yard and checking uh, that, that all of the equipment is, is, is on board, is working properly, uh, and that the, that the hull is, is sealed and watertight. Um, they'll, they'll, uh, the, the, the field crew will, will drive, uh, 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 and stop along the way at a normal, normal fueling station and fuel up the boat with diesel, uh, and, uh, and then go to a, a, a boat ramp. Uh, where the trailer, uh, the trailerable boat is, you know, simply, simply, uh, back, you know, backed into the water like it would launch any other boat, um, and uh, and and then once it's in the water, has another set round of checks to make sure everything is 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 working well, and then the control of the boat is turned over um, to the remote pilots and the the local crew that's putting it in the water um, uh, will will uh, will step away. In in some cases, we'll uh, if it's a busy harbor area, we may have we may hire a local boat to uh, as an escort uh, to get us out to to uh, to open open water. Uh, they don't tow us or anything. Uh, we just we just sort of have it as an additional safety measure to to buy down risk in in, in busy areas. Mm -hmm. And then once they're you know safely at sea, they'll uh, they'll they'll steam along at at, uh, at three or four knots toward the 
toward the uh, survey area. Um, at this point, uh, they're probably only staffed by the pilot. The surveyor, uh, you know, during that long transit isn't even isn't even associated with the boat. They're, uh, they may be working on another project in another part of the world on a different boat. And then uh, when, the, when, the, when the boat approaches the survey area, um, the, the surveyor will, will uh, arrive, join the uh, Microsoft Teams call that is the coordination point between the pilot and the, and the surveyor. Um, and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll uh, you know, prepare uh, all the systems to make sure everything's ready to go and collecting data properly. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then, uh, and then begin the survey work that the pilot doesn't actually steer. There's no joystick or anything like that. It's a, it's a, it's sort of an, it's a guided autopilot system. So they'll, they'll lay out a track and the boat will follow it. And then they amend the track as, as necessary, um, have on board, uh, you know, 360 degree cameras and, and, uh, LIDAR, uh, a LIDAR system for collision avoidance. And, uh, and are, they're monitoring that all the time, AIS, et cetera. Can I can I just jump yep. in and ask sure. a quick question? So sure. when I think of like you know a uh, let's just say uh, one of the vessels that that you were commanding uh, back in your NOAA days, uh, I think of like a big area on the fantail type of the back of the the research mm-hmm. vessel with a big crane and some like large uh, equipment, be it sonar or whatever, being. Uh, hoisted and then lowered off the back and then you know that being towed around with a tether uh, around the survey area Um, this is obviously a different I I, I, is that happening with these smaller vessels or it it, how does it are are sensors being deployed that way how how are the sensors working we do not tow anything at this point um, the, the sensors we use are, are multi-beam and sub-bottom sensors that are lo- located, that are mounted directly to the hull, actually between the hulls so that they get nice, nice, nice clean water. And, uh, and so they, they're, you know, pinging away. Um, uh, you know, we may, we may do a little observation for marine mammals to make sure that we're not, uh, there's, there's none in the immediate vicinity before we energize our equipment. Um, and then the uh, and then those sonars work. We do uh, we do lower a physically lower to the to down to the seafloor a, a a sound speed cast through a little winch that goes through the hull, uh, and that uh, that measures measures the the properties the acoustic properties of the water that we need for the sonar work. Wow, that's very cool. You know, Tyler, we had a great time at the National Ocean Exploration Forum. Uh, here in Austin, Texas, in April, it was very cool. Chap, uh, it was uh, as you're familiar with it, but a NOAA-sponsored organization on ocean science and technology and robotics and sensing. One of the great conversations at that at that event, Tyler, was Dr. Alan Adams with Oceanic Labs, uh, sort of another ocean technology skunk works company. But yeah. uh, the reason I bring that up, Shep, is he's focused a great deal also on the water column and the fact that ocean research and science is often benthic and we want to get down to the deepest part and we want to see the critters on the bottom and this and that. But we've been passing through an incredibly important layer of ocean water. Tell us why, in your view, um, water column analysis and under, better understanding the uh, this particular part of the ocean is important for us. Oh, important. Um, well, you know, it's the, it, the it, you know, certainly, certainly commercial fisheries or, or just the whole marine ecosystem has a, a huge pelagic component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and the, the, the circuit, you know, the, the, the way that that all works uh, is is the is the foundation of an incredibly important part of the food web of the world and and even food security for humanity. So that you know that certainly is a is is important. Uh, on the physical side, there's I'm trying to remember my figure. I'm pretty sure it's a thousand. Yeah, it's a thousand times. You know, when we when we think of global warming, we think that the air is getting warmer. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's not that's not really what's happening. It's that the ocean's getting warmer. Yep. There's a there's a thousand times more heat, latent heat, in the ocean than there is in the atmosphere. So if you were to raise the atmosphere by one degree, and the ocean by one degree, it would take a thousand times more energy to raise the ocean by one degree as the atmosphere. 
Yeah. Um, and the, the, the circulation patterns for, uh, for how that heat is moved around Earth is the main driver for climate. Now, it's not necessarily the main driver for climate change, but the change, you know, yet, but, but, but at least not that we understand. But as that heat moves around the Earth, that's, that is really what's going to be the long-term driver for, for climate change. Right uh, you know, you think about the Gulf Stream, right? Why is, why is Ireland and Norway, why are those habitable, uh, right? It's because of the Gulf Stream. Um, so, the, you know, those, the, that part of the world shouldn't be worried about uh, it getting a little bit warmer. They should be worried about changes in ocean circulation, which could, which could you know, divert or, or, or weaken the Gulf Stream such that, uh, that the, the climate pattern of Europe, you know, uh, right. fundamentally changes. Anyway, that's all tied to, mm-hmm. you know, properties of the water column and often constrained by bathymetry in ways that are not actually well understood. We, 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 we know what the big circulation patterns are of the world, but we don't necessarily know why uh, in all the right details. So it's a little hard to predict how they could be different. If we don't know the the the, the underlying uh, you know constraints and forcing functions on on that global circulation, right on. <clears throat> you know, I, I often say on this show that if you want to understand climate change, look in the ocean, don't look in the air. Uh, it is absolutely true that the most vivid evidence of what's happening with climate change is uh, in the water, uh, whether it's the shifting of fish stocks, the migration of fish to different areas, uh, the changes in sea level uh, and uh, hurricane intensity. Uh, it is an energy transformation issue is what we're doing. We're changing the energy balance of the world and how it functions. Uh, Shep, what do you think is the next advancement in ocean technology and robotics? Uh, we are seeing an explosion in ocean technology development. Uh, the Wavemakers podcast on ASPN, uh, Tyler. Absolutely. Is our, our Blue Tech show. Our Blue Tech show with Tam, Tamara Khan is a great show. And, and Admiral Tim Gallaudet's show, the Blue, the, uh, the, the Blue Economy podcast. American Blue Economy podcast. Is also, uh, has a great tech focus. So for the listeners out there, you might check those two offerings out on ASPN. But, um, Shep, where do you think the technology is going? What do you expect to see in instrumentation, either at X Ocean, your company, or in other settings? Uh, you know, there, I'll, I'll maybe split that into two because okay. I, there's a, there's a lot of really cool, uh, interesting one-off type technology development programs uh, associated with the ocean exploration industry globally. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, and a lot of that, a lot of that is finding new ways of doing things, finding really unusual parts of the, of the planet and understanding them better. Uh, and, and, um, but it's, it's, it's a little bit focused on, on that sort of one-off development research end of things. Where we are at XOcean is, is, is really making all of that valuable for humanity. So we're using the, the, not necessarily the thing that was invented last year, uh, but the very best of the things that have been developed for this industry that are mature and can be taken to scale and industrialized, right? Um, you know, we can, we, we can, we can field a whole, a whole, a whole fleet, a whole squadron of little boats um, with multi-beams on them and, and at a, at a, at a, at a, at a reduced cost from what it would traditionally cost to really map the seabed. That used to be an ocean exploration project was how do you, how do you get really uh, high resolution uh, bathymetry and backscatter? That's now the sort that's now at the point where we can industrialize it. Uh, there are some other examples that are things that are like a little, that are a little, uh, uh, you know, a not quite mature yet um, that I'm really excited about. I, I think there's a huge amount we can learn and that this goes back to my trail time a little bit from just listening. Uh, from passive acoustics, um, and and because we have uh, electric drive boats that can essentially become they can become silent, um, you know, between the generator cyclings, um, we have a really good opportunity to uh, to to do passive acoustics in a way that a that a that a, that a uh, either a, a larger noisier ship or 
uh, you know, which which has a has a hard time with this, or with uh, you know uh, buoys and and uh, you know fixed fixed observation points, which which you know obviously only have it in one place. So I think there's a huge amount to learn there. Um, and then the, the 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 last I would point to is is uh, is is eDNA, environmental DNA. This is just gonna this is just gonna blow apart how we understand ecosystems at sea. Um, it you know it, it's not quite industrializable yet. Um, it's really getting close. Uh, at my my at NOAA AOML you know designed a uh, an eDNA sampler that could be taken to scale, um, and 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 we're certainly looking at that. Tell us um, tell and, us what it is now and tell us why it's important. Okay, so eDNA, environmental DNA, is, uh, uh, is essentially what you're doing is taking a water sample um, and straining all the little bits out of it, um, and those bits came from all the critters that live in the water or have been there. So you might get a little piece of whale skin, you might get a, uh, you know, some some bacteria, you might get a, some fish scales, whatever. Um, there's there's DNA evidence at very low levels um, of the of the uh, of, of the inhabitants of that ecosystem. You can then, you know, essentially create a filter. You know, push, put all the water through a filter. You get a little, you, you get a little sample of of this material, which can then be analyzed uh, using the magic of supercomputers and hmm. and gene sequencing stuff that I don't understand, um, and and essentially get a whole bunch of hits on on different species that are present in that sample. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how this that that's magic in and of itself but how do you turn that into useful science right footprints in the ocean who knew yeah exactly exactly but you can't know from the footprints how many of those things there are necessarily um uh, and so you know and so it's a it's it's uh you know turning it into something that would then help inform you know our management of sustainable fisheries for instance or endangered species or or habitat assessment that you might do before you you put in a, an offshore uh, uh, installation of a wind farm or a cable route or something. That si- that application isn't quite mature yet, but I think it'll get there in the next decade or so, and and that will that will really fundamentally change the way we the the way we the way we do observation at sea, uh, and 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 I think you know be a, a real step change in in maturing our our uh, our understanding of the ocean. Absolutely. And, and I think, ladies and gentlemen, the other component here that I think is uh, important to, to recognize is that machine learning and uh, advanced, like computing all of this, these oceans of data uh, is, is really the thing. There's going to be so much data collected that we will be able, using uh, machine learning and new techniques of digesting all of this data, we will be able to understand what's happening, even if that data is actually kind of simple, you know, uh, or or not as finite as you know, sending down Alvin and seeing a specific singular example of a phenomena. What we will have are maybe say temperature or salinity data from a whole bunch of uh, sensors where we know where they are and we know when that sample was collected. So, kind of, you we can create a, a bit of a pointillism, I guess, would be the the type of painting that we might create using all of those dots of data, um, which is interesting because uh, I understand, Shep, that over there at X-Ocean, y'all are focused on, you, you described it earlier in the show as that you build and operate. Um, so to me, that says, A, you've got to invent and construct these uh, autonomous vehicles to begin with, which I think is very cool. Uh, I'm immediately drawn to that. And of course, operate them, also very cool. But then there's this other side of the business, or rather, there's this other side of ocean exploration, which is the data analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, what could you walk our listeners through uh, that divide and how XOcean works with um, other organizations, other businesses that take that data and uh, analyze it? Sure. Well, I'll finish my little day in the life there. So they got to the survey grounds. They collected data for hours and hours. Um, and that and that's logged on board uh, the 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 bandwidth to for satellite communications at least until Starlink is, has a has a has a mobile uh, link to sea uh, is not enough to get the full bandwidth data to shore 
we get a subset of it, but uh, it, it it has to wait uh, the full the full full data needs to wait until we get uh, the boat gets back to the beach. But that once it gets to the cloud, we have we have you know one of the big challenges with processing big amounts of sonar data is it just takes some time to to you know go through some of these big data heavy processes. But within the cloud, we can we can access you know, really uh, powerful machines and make those make those processes go really quickly. We can parallelize a lot of what we do. Uh, and our processors don't need to be in one place. They're, 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 uh, you bring the computer to the data, you don't need to bring the data to the computer. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it's very powerful. We, uh, we then have a standard set of deliverables that, uh, that is, a, that is depends on who our client is, whatever they want. Um, you know, governments usually have uh, a public access uh, to the to the data eventually, mm -hmm. if not immediately, and uh, private private companies less so uh, for proprietary reasons. There's a there was a business reason they collected that data, and, and the client owns the data. Um, but they you know uh, you know they they then you know get get hold of this data and can use it for planning the next thing, which may involve more science work or more construction work or or whatever it is that they're doing. You know, Shep, one of the things that uh, the great hope that I often hear about uh, from my friends in, in government service is, uh, and also in the private sector, is, you know, what's uh, the great hope is the private sector's flexibility and responsiveness and inventiveness and how it's so much incredibly better than science and technology development within the government. This is a theme that I've heard Um more and more, though, what we're starting to see is this integration of the public and private sector on ocean science and technology. Uh, having planted a flag in the public sector for 28 years at the very fine institution of NOAA, uh, and now in the private sector, do a little compare and contrast between these two worlds, and what do you think of it? Yeah, boy, that's a tricky one. But, you know, I, I just start <laughs> with it's, it's different, uh, yeah. you know? Um, the rules under which the government operates were were, uh, were were put in place by the people's representatives in order to protect the public interest, and not always those those rules don't always efficiency was not among their highest priorities when they put those rules in place, and so so there is a certain amount of overhead, and this is this is, is absolutely has nothing to do with the character or, or, no. or work ethic of the government employees who are, uh, you know, the, among the finest I've ever worked with and, you know, in, in public or private. Um, it's really a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's really about the underlying foundation for that. Um, so, you know, that said, there are, there are things that only the government can do. There's only there that where the, the, the interest the, the public interest is diffuse um, that, you know, who would you, who would you get to pay for making nautical charts? Yeah. It would be very hard to figure out a billing mechanism to the, to the beneficiaries of that, of that service. Um, it, it is a huge public interest that there is safe navigation. It underlies, uh, you know, uh, efficiency of, of trade. It, uh, it, it underlies, uh, you know, safety at sea, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very clear, but, but even then, you know, uh, uh, let me, uh, let me, I'll take one more minute on this question. Yeah, go it's ahead. Actually, go it's ahead. A good one. So there was, a, you know, I, I, uh, when I first started with NOAA, we, uh, we wrote our own software. I did, I did some software programming for NOAA when I was way back at the beginning. We had custom versions of all of our sonars. Um, we, we had, uh, we, we processed all of our data. We collected all of our own data on our own ships. We did all the QC. We made all the charts. We printed the charts in government facilities. Mm, wow. Uh, and mm. we sold them through government chart agents. So by the time I retired, a lot of those functions had been transitioned gracefully and for good reason to, to the private sector. Um, there's no reason that we need to be the retailer of charts. There's nope. there's a lot of good retailers out there that can handle this much better than we could. Um, that there's no in inherently governmental sort of role there. So we you know we we you know narrowed our focus down to driving the technology because there's a public interest in better technology. 
um, in in making sure that the that the data collection was to high standards and efficiently done. Uh, as part of that, we maintain some efficient some capacity of our own to to maintain our own proficiency and to drive technology. Um, but we also we we transition to uh, you know around half or sometimes more than half of our level of effort is private sector for surveying. We, we use all commercial off-the-shelf software, um, which is also now available to the private sector, which is a, which is a great benefit to, to companies like mine who are, who are using the, the, you know, some of the software that was originally developed for the government. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and the, you know, the chart systems themselves, the government doesn't make chart, uh, charting systems, uh, navigation systems for boats, right? That's, that's all done by the private sector. So there's a really good blend. And I think a lot of parts of the government have found a nice balance like that, um, that really can uh, incentivize the private sector to do a really good job in the places where that's good, but, but to, to sort of maintain public trust in the public interest for the parts that, 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 that where that's important. Well, and, you know, one thing that just comes to mind when I think about it is that it, it's a transition, and uh, albeit it's a, in some respects, it's a transition that has lasted decades, but whether we're talking about uh, space and commercial space and the uh, amazing proliferation of uh, commercially operated satellites and communications equipment that is now orbiting the planet, I mean, that, that no, no private uh, company would dream of undertaking that before, uh, you know, NASA and the initial wave of technological development and exploration that occurred uh, behind the public, the public's investment and the public's interest. And I think a similar thing is happening in the ocean space and where, Peter, you and I are really keeping our eyes uh, uh, on the horizon, I suppose we could say, is with offshore wind development, which is uh, exploding. Uh, next week, we have the opportunity to do a little show with the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. I'm already looking ahead to that because there's so much going on around the American shoreline in this space. You know, Shep, I think it would be cool if you could talk to us a little bit about how UCX Ocean integrating into some of these new um, ocean industries that are emergent, offshore wind, and I'm also thinking about aquaculture as another example. I don't know if you all have given that one any thought. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, about, you know, a, a large percentage of our business right now is is with offshore wind, mostly in Europe. We've, we've operated in 18 different countries so far, um, and uh, and most of that, uh, you know, most of that work has been, has, has been with offshore wind. Uh, and, you know, we, we, uh, we, we're involved in in uh, in all, sort of all phases of that, from the sort of early exploratory phases to to the to the to the baseline work that's done before construction to supporting construction, uh, and then some of the phases afterwards for the O and M phases. Um, all require uh, you know ocean mapping, monitoring of of of, uh, of of habitat changes, monitoring of the of the fixed infrastructure, the built infrastructure offshore, mm -hmm. um, and and you know, we, uh, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, we can really perform well for uh, for those for those companies. Um, you know, we because we're smaller and trailerable, we can we can have a boat really anywhere in the world and have it deployed in in days to weeks. Uh, we can air freight our boats, um, so the the sort of spin up time of getting the capacity where you need it. Um, is is really uh, is 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 really uh, an advantage for us. Um, we can uh, you know our our because we're so lightly crewed. I mean, there's nobody on board, but there's our staffing costs are low. We can deliver uh, really high quality data for a, a really competitive price. Um, but you know, a huge you know the offshore wind they are counting every part of their supply chain into their carbon footprint. And, uh, and, and, and the fact that we can do cool. these critical services for them um, at, at a fraction of the carbon footprint um, is really something that is attractive to them. And, um, and, and you know, there's, there's, there's other environmental advantages as well that they're really excited about. And, and uh, it, it, you know, and that is to do with our environmental impact. You know, we sometimes forget to even notice that we are no discharge by design, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we can operate indefinitely in a marine sanctuary without any discharge that could, uh, you know, to 
sewage or gray water. It's a huge problem for crude boats. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we can, uh, we, you know, the carbon footprint is low. You know, we, we do monitor for, for, uh, for whales and dolphins in the area. We're, we're looking at ways of monitor of listening as well underwater. Um, and, uh, but even if we, you know, risk is the risk is the likelihood times the consequence. Right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly, we certainly minimize the likelihood of hitting a whale. Um, but because we we're slow and light, and soft and puny. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the consequence of, of a, of an interaction between us and a whale would be much worse for us than the whale. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that, you know, if the, if you're starting with the baseline of, of, of how do we not bother or, or hurt the whales while we do this offshore industry, you know, we, we really have a, we really have something to offer there as well. Um, so that, so anyway, it's a, you know, we have a, we have a lot of really interesting, uh, you know, uh, interesting projects going with, with, with offshore wind and really exciting work. It's the coolest stuff in town. I hope you're busy as hell, Shep, in the, in the wind power industry. Um, we followed on Coastal News Today very closely the New York Bite uh, lease sale, which happened, I think, in late February, $4.37 billion in leases for offshore wind sites uh, from the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, uh, who we'll be talking to next week, and the recent sales off of the Carolinas also. Uh, you know, this is where we're headed. It's the right way to go. Uh, and there's a lot to know about how to develop this industry in a responsible way. And all of that takes great information and good decision making. And uh, I hope X Ocean is busy as hell out there supporting that developing industry. I'm a fan of it. I'll just say it. I, I know there's questions and issues with the fishery folks and this and that. But damn it, we got to get off of the carbon stuff. We got to get rid of the coal and we, um, in power production. And this is how we got to do it. So I hope I, I wish you guys great success uh, moving forward as a company. Uh, exciting, exciting work. Um, uh, I, final thoughts from your, what, what, you know, tell us where folks can learn more about X ocean and give us your final thoughts on this new position you're in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, X ocean, uh, all over the place, social media, it's not a hard thing to remember. It's just X ocean with no, no hyphens or anything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you find us, find us all over the place. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about what we can do and where and, and how we can make an impact in more and more markets. We're really excited about the, about the, all of the activity happening here in the United States, uh, but also around the world, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in Australia and Taiwan, and there's a huge investments in, in offshore wind, uh, right around the world. And, yeah. uh, and, and we're involved in a lot of those markets. And so, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a really, really exciting company. And I, I'm really proud of what we do and, 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 and who we're doing it for and, and why we're doing it. So um, I uh, really thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to, to talk to you again. And yeah. uh, we talked about Exocean a little bit uh, and uh, but a, lot of, a lot of context, which is really fun, too, because uh, I, I, I love the big picture and Absolutely. how Exocean fits into it. Well, look. It first of all, uh, I'm I share Peter's uh, enthusiasm and support for everything that y'all are doing, and uh, I also just want to say, while we have you, uh, congratulations on yeah. your Noah career, and thank you for your career of service. Uh, we talk about it all the time, Peter. Uh, we're the biggest fans of yep. Noah. The science that they do is un paralleled really in the federal government and uh shep you were a big part of that and it's just it's great to see you moving on to another another mission well it's going to be fun it's going to be a great it's going to be a great adventure at x ocean uh, ladies and gentlemen it is rear admiral retired shep smith uh the chief technology officer for a new innovative uh, startup in ocean data collection called X Ocean. Check them out all over the internet. Uh, Chep, what a pleasure to get to catch up with you. I hope we can have you back on as the company's uh, efforts and technological advancements occur. We'd love to. We'd love to get an update. We're very interested in this subject area and uh, wish you all the best in the world. Uh, thanks for thanks for sharing your insights with our with our listeners. Well, thanks for another great interview. Mom's in love. I
the pearl.